welcome back to What the What. This is Jeff. And Renee. And this is our Christmas extravaganza. Da, 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 da. So, um, we're, we're recording this a little bit early, but this will be going up. It's Christmas Day, so Merry Christmas to everybody. Hope you're, hope you're uh, spending some time with family, or you were able to spend some time with family, uh, one way or another. Um, have you seen Have you seen any pictures of anybody doing like Zoom family gatherings? Have you seen pictures of that? Yeah. No. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We have a we have a I think we have a mutual friend, Tabitha, who posted a picture and her with family spread out all over the world from Texas, Colorado, Germany. That was pretty neat. And there, the screenshot of the screen. Yeah. 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 But Zoom still sucks. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. No. But better than COVID. So. Yes. Yeah. So. We're going to do a little time loop thing here. What are your plans for Christmas that is happening? Like, what am I doing today? Well, what are you, what are you right, going to I'm do for today, Christmas right? yes, that, that, people are, that people are going to be hearing today or after Christmas? I will. Predict do, the future to tell the past or something. Yeah. Well, right now, I'm at my parents' house playing with my parents' dog. And pretty much it's the best Christmas ever. Nice. Perfect. What are you doing? I will probably be here. Oh, no, I'm watching Wonder Woman in the theater. I'm, whatever whatever theater I can find it in, I'm going to watch it in the theater with uh, Waylon and his brother. Jason is going to watch it here. Yeah. And then we're going to come back and talk about it. Oh, and so. I'll be watching it at home. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Is no, Tucson, I, I mean, is Tucson going to have it? We. I don't know yet. Like, I haven't seen... There's a whole mishmash of of what so Wonder Woman is going to be a little bit unique in that it's it's the first blockbuster that's being released in theaters and on streaming at the same time. Yeah, and it's it's hit or miss what theaters are actually going to be showing it that day. I'm pretty sure AMC signed up to do it, and we do have AMC theaters here in Tucson, so some somebody somebody will be playing it. We're not we're not that far into the boonies, so somebody will be showing it. So. But with that being said, let's uh, let's get into this show, our Christmas extravaganza, and I have here for you your Christmas present. Oh. So you can open this. Is this a box of chocolates? It is not a box of chocolates. Okay. So it is an actual present, and it will also lead into what we're going to be talking oh, about. Oh, okay, that's good. Show. So, but let's get you up right up on the mic on that. Let's make a lot of noise without unwrapping. Do, nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, it's Christmas. Oh, <gasps> yeah! So what is it? It is a hardcover book of Watership Down by Richard Adams. Yes. Which, um, as some of you may not know, but I have a, a rabbit tattoo because when I was really young, I watched, I read Watership Down, and then I saw the very old animated version, not the current version, and I wanted a rabbit so badly. I tried to convince my parents that I could keep one in a cardboard box. I was like, listen, I have a perfect home. There's this cardboard box. I'm just going to put the rabbit in here. And they were like, that's not happening. So I've always wanted a pet rabbit, but it's because of this book. Okay. And when we first met, we met at a dinner group. Uh-huh. And I saw your tattoo and I asked you if it was Watership Down. Yes. I, I, I knew, I pretty much knew it was, but, I, but you know, you never know for sure. Okay. So this actually leads into the topic of the show. And that is... What makes us who we were? So, so for the first, the, so for, for part one, I just kind of want to talk about Watership Down because this, this actually was a pretty influential, not the book but the movie was quite influential for me as well. Oh, so is this? Would you say this is your favorite book of that time period in my life? Okay. Yes, okay. yeah, and, yeah. Enough, enough, 
it, it's tattooed on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. You, so, um, so what? So, so you you already kind of answered it, but was there anything else like like what what was it about this book other than the rabbits that really spoke to you? It was the first time that I read. Well, not not the first time necessarily, but one I'm a big animal person, right? And this was one of the instances where I had started to cross over into adult fiction because up until that point, um, I think what happened to me happens to a lot of really advanced readers is that um, your reading ability is faster than your content, than your content awareness. So I was ready to read more sophisticated books, but I wasn't ready. I didn't want to read about like the slow disillusionment of a marriage, right? Like, so I wasn't ready for adult content, but I was ready for adult um, like language. So that's like many early readers. I got really into horror. I got really into um, like um, science fiction, fantasy, that sort of stuff, because the content is more accessible emotionally, right, to a young reader. But Watership Down was a book that felt like an adult book, but it was also a book that bridged that gap in with animals, because I'd been reading Redwall and a couple of other books that were animal based. But this one felt like it was adult content, but it still had that rabbits. And it was also one of the first books that taught me about allegory, that like you can get at something about humans by talking about not humans. And so it was like from from a purely from a writing perspective, which I was also doing at that age, it, it helped me understand that I didn't have to talk as directly about something, which was very eye opening. But then also rabbits. I mean, that was a big part of it. Wait, and then what? So for you, what was the when did you see the movie? Pretty soon after, about okay. the same time, and you know, it's very just the, that those early animations, like The Hobbit and and um, Watership Down, that early animation stuff, Rats of Nim, like that stuff is really dark and intense. Like that's like I still have dreams of Fiverr in in from the movie. Right. So so Watership Down. So I I never read the book, but the movie I saw really early on. So the book came out in seventy eight. Mm -hmm. The movie in I think in eighty, seventy nine or eighty. And I probably saw it really, really early on. Like I was probably five or six when I saw it. And what what was interesting about the movie is it totally made it past all the censors. It made it past all the censors in Britain. Totally, somehow slid past them, slid under the radar for parents and across, yeah. you know, on yeah. both sides of the pond, and was shown to unsuspecting kids as, "Hey, here's a cute cartoon about rabbits." And there's a whole generation of Lashkey kids that were traumatized oh, for sure. by that by that film. Yeah. I to this day I call I refer to it as the bunny snuff film. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it is. Because those rabbits get torn up. Yep. Yep. And not not long after seeing that, um, I found a baby rabbit outside outside in our yard. And uh -huh. it was there was actually a stray cat that was getting ready to pounce on it. Oh. So I actually saved a bunny from this cat. And we, we ended up taking it to the, to the, to the uh, not the Humane Society, we took it to the Desert Museum, which is, it's called a museum, but if, if, you're, if you know Tucson, it's actually a zoo dedicated to the Sonoran Desert. Yeah. It's actually one of the coolest zoos in the world. Yeah. So we took it there. Um, but it really, for me, Watership Down really early on opened up that sense of empathy with, with animals and with weaker and with anything weak. And it, it's... Probably one of the, you know, if you were going to break, if you were going to break down who I was, Watership Down is one of those, is one of the seminal building blocks in what created who I, who I am today. Yeah. So. And, and I think that it's very much about 
what we what we interact with, right? Like, yeah. and what we sought out. Like, I don't know that my parents. I mean, again, I was we free range parenting, right? My parents wouldn't have necessarily picked this for me. Like, they or you know, they wouldn't have said, "Yeah, this is a great book to read." But I managed to find it. Who knows? Probably the library. That's where I got all my stuff. But. Um, and, and I sought this out and engaged with it and consumed it, like ate it, like it was amazing. And, and yeah, then it changes who you are, which is different than like, um, some experience people have where somebody, um, like I was listening to something talking about how someone was forced, like they ended up watching something too early because their parents set up the environment for it, right? They're like, yeah, my parents played this movie, you know, some horror film or something like they saw the exorcist when they were too, quote unquote, too young. Right. I mean, there's, but whereas me, like we, like I got to direct this. I got to decide I was going to ingest this. Okay. Speaking of too young, there's another gift that I want to show you. This is actually, this is actually a gift I got from my roommate. Okay. The same time I got this. Okay. The same day, but completely different. Okay. Porky's the ultimate collection. <laughs> so this, this is the uh, box set of the Porky's movies. Uh, yeah. And on the cover, it actually has a really cool cover. Like if you if you tilt it back and forth, you see the little girl's leg go yep, back and forth, a... go up and down. Well, I don't know what that's called, but yeah. So, I my mom let me watch this when I was five, <laughs> by maybe five or six. I by the time I was five or six, I was watching Porky's, um, uh, the, the Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, grandma's or mother's day april fool's day all the slasher films wow i was watching all of this stuff when i was five which also probably shaped who i am today (laughs) but not in a good way (laughs) who knows who knows (laughs) um yeah so what were were a couple other things and we're going to talk about this more in part two like try, try to try to draw specific like this is an aspect of your of you and this is where it came from but just for the for the rest of part one what were some other like like key things from your childhood that you remember but like media that you consumed Benicula? no you never read Benicula? i did but oh, it okay. wasn't it wasn't i mean like for me a lot of it was like rats of nim was one i mentioned that was beautiful my family um my siblings and i we watched a lot of warner brothers and what's interesting about um, the Warner Brothers stuff is how, like, I know du- everything about Duke Ellington because of Warner Brothers, right? Like, so, and opera, and there's just a lot of, those are also TV shows that probably don't have modern sensibilities. What do you mean, what do you mean Warner Brothers? Like, like so, cartoons? Yeah, or? the cartoons, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Looney, so, like, Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Bugs Bunny and the, and, like, and so my siblings and I, we watch that stuff. Oh, and we quoted it and we imitated it all the time, like left and right. Like it was a big part of our shared family experience was that type of media. And that stuff is dark. Like, like, if you see it now, have you seen that now? Like I had a friend who was, who was like, oh, I loved these growing up. And she started to watch with her kids. She's like, never mind, Cause they're very violent, vaguely racist. Like there's just a lot of issues. So when I, so speaking of looking at things from, from a, from a modern sensibility, when I was doing um, stand-up comedy, I had a whole bit built around Curious George. So when I w- when in college, I was doing an internship with, um, it's called BARA, Bureau of Applied Research and Anthropology. And we were going out and working with Somali refugees in public school systems. 
So as, as my little project was, I set up a reading program to go out to, to bring books out to um, the, a, a certain apartment complex where a lot of the refugees had been resettled. So I'm trying to pick, I'm trying to find books that would be appropriate, mm-hmm. right? Can't be anything Christian, so no Christmas books. Um, you really have to watch anything that has like police or soldiers because these kids would have a t- radically different interpretation of somebody in uniform than we would. Mm-hmm. Although I think our interpretation is catching up to, <laughs> yeah, to yeah. what those kids have, yeah. right? So I saw a Curious George. I'm like, oh, this should be good. So I'm reading Curious George and I'm like, I can't, I can't show this to a kid from Africa. Yeah. It's literally, it is, and there's, and I'm not the first person to notice this, but it's literally an apology for slavery. Oh. So Curious you have, Curious George. So you have, and I'm, I'm quoting my own stand-up material from 11 years ago. You have a almost but not quite human stolen from Africa by a white man, brought to America, can't, can't quite seem to stay out of trouble, and ends up behind bars. Curious George ends up behind bars? Yeah. Because he ends up like they always block him up in his cribs. He's always getting in. in oh, like, I see. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. See. If we actually look at the story, he's like that story kind of ends with him in his crib, and oh, I'm like, and so, anyways, that was just a random aside, but yeah, well, I mean yeah. that that's the sort of stuff, yeah, where you're like, oh, that did not, that did not age, that well. Did not age well. Although Richard Scary, so um, a lot of my early formative sort of years, like I was very much into. Um, animal stuff, right? So, um, and stuffed, as I call them, stuffed up animals, like that congestion, but so animals. Um, so all of these things with the, um, the different, oh, Richard, so Richard Scarry was one of my favorite illustrators because he wrote, he drew pictures of little animals doing things, right? So like driving a tractor and doing a bunch of other things. And he actually recently, um, I don't know if it was him or if his estate did an update where they created more modern interpretations because like they had one where it's like the, the mother cat was, like making cookies and they're like we i guess women can drive tractors too right so they they went through and they like updated that that content all right so renee does not understand why i'm looking at her and cracking up oh so behind us because this is christmas i put on some little like old christmas show and there's like some weird freaky ass animation going yeah, on what are you right doing over her like, what are you... <laughs> That's... talk about something that has not held up well yeah whatever that is yeah it it, it... It almost it almost looks like the the stop motion claymation animation of like of uh, like um, uh, Rudolph or something, but it was but in black like, and white. I, oh, I think it's supposed to be the Wizard, Wizard of, of Oz. Oz. Yeah, but these are like like just I know if you're if you're watching this if you're listening to this you have no idea what we're talking about, but I assure you this is a really weird Wizard of Oz commercial for Contact. Oh my God! I haven't heard of Contact in like thirty years. Well, I don't even know what that is. It, w- it was a little pill, and I don't remember what it did, but I do remember I do remember those pills from like my uh, childhood. Huh. This is a, oh, this is an interesting little blast from the past. You know what's interesting is that the look on your face is usually the the look when you're about to like reveal something like horribly racist about the creator. Like I was like, what does he know about Richard Scarry, the art the artist that you were about to like drop on me? Like you know. Actually, historically, did you know that that guy was a Nazi? And I'll be like, what? And you, like, ruined <laughs> Pro- my childhood? Probably. Yeah, I mean, probably. no. No, because he went through and he updated his stuff. He got, he got with modern times. But that, I'm glad that all it was was a creepy thing over my shoulder because. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty funny. It was, anyways. Um, so we're going to, we're going to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to, we're going to go to a commercial. And then we come back, we're going to try to get into some specifics. Oh. So. Okay. All right. So. Stay tuned, we'll be right back.
Hey, welcome back to What the What, Jeff. Renee. And this is still the Christmas extravaganza. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always curious what commercial you guys heard during that break. Yeah. But, you know, um, but so uh, in the in the second part, I kind of wanted to get try to draw down into like some more specifics. So mm -hmm. one, one of my one of my guiding principles is that we are what we consume. Mm -hmm. And you could you could look at who somebody is and kind of reverse engineer where their values, where their personality came from based off of uh, the type of media they consumed as kids. And I have one example, and it's kind of it, not so much when I was a kid. This came about later on when I was in high school. So uh, most of you may know I've been in the Army for quite some time, 23 years. I'm going on 23 years. And if you knew me before I joined the Army, you would have never, ever predicted I would be, I would be there. I was a hippie. I was a straight up tie dye. I was hemp Listen, sandal wearing. You are wearing. Vegetarian. You are wearing. Um, oh, I'm wearing jeans today that make me believe that very much. Yeah, I am. I am. Your now, bell bottoms. Yeah. Yeah. So I was. I was a tie dye shirt wearing, long haired, hemp sandal wearing, vegetarian hippie. So me. What joined, happened? Me, me joining the me joining the army came out of left field for everybody. So, but when people ask me, okay, why did you join the army? To me, that's not an interesting question. I joined the Army because I wanted to go to college, and I had no way to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So the more interesting question is, how did I bridge the cognitive dissonance to allow this peace-loving hippie that once got a recruiter so pissed off at me, he tried to kick me out of my own house? How did, how did that guy bridge the cognitive dissonance to join the Army? And the answer is partially G.I. Joe. I grew up playing G.I. Joe, watching G.I. Joe. But more importantly, it was a book by Herman Wouk, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, W-O-U-K. Mm. I'm not sure if it's Wouk or Wauk. Um, so he wrote The Cane Mutiny, and then more famously, Winds of War and War and Remembrance. So War and War and Remembrance had, and this is lovely stuff to talk about on Christmas or, you know, after Christmas, but... Totally within the Christmas spirit, not the Holocaust, and <laughs> um, but there was there was one particular scene in War and Remembrance in which a in which a Jewish in which a Jewish woman was being um, forced into working with the Nazis to convince the Red Cross that atrocities weren't happening. Mm. I'm not going to go into the specifics of it. It's, it is it is pretty gruesome. Mm -hmm. But but that book, and even knowing that, and even knowing that 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 scene was fictional, there was no doubt in my mind that that stuff, something like that, actually happened. And the town that was referenced in this scene is actually a real town. The whole Red Cross incident actually happened. It's a historical incident. But that's what gave me the 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 understanding that I could I could join the army. There was. There, it was the it was the belief that there are monsters out there. Some people are monsters, and somebody has to stand up to them. So even though I would prefer peace and I would prefer everybody getting along, that's not always that's not always possible. So to me, joining the army literally was my opportunity to stand up for the people that couldn't stand up for themselves. And I got that from War and Remembrance. But did you? Did you? Were you aware of that dissonance and were you seeking to resolve it and therefore you consumed that media? 
or that media existed within you and it plant do you see what I'm no, saying? Like, I, no, I consumed that media because there was a list of authors that we had to read mm -hmm. and Wook had the most interesting looking name. Mm -hmm. So I picked Wook. I had to read two thousand pages of his stuff and that's why I that's how I ended up getting him. Hmm. But then but then you used that narrative later in life. Yes. Yeah. So I read so I read all those books my sophomore year in high school, reread them as a senior because I really they were they're just, you know, anybody listening to this is like, yeah, no shit. War on Remembrance. It's one of the classics we know. Mm -hmm. Um so I reread it in as a senior and then by the time I was 21 and thinking about potentially joining the army, you know, I, I, I fell back on that as I, as I was doing my own personal soul searching, I fell back on that. Hmm. What if you'd read Catch-22? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, and, and that's a good point. Like you, so you could, I could go back and I could look at some other things that I, that particularly movies that I saw growing up and I, you know, off camera, off, off mic, I mentioned Enemy Mine mm -hmm. and another movie that was really uh, Mississippi Burning. Mm -hmm. And those, those are the movies that gave me kind of, that really influenced my understanding of race relations and, you know, you know, um, how we should be interacting as, as people who knows how I would have turned out. If I hadn't seen those, if I had been raised in the backwoods of Mississippi, you know, you know, listening to Prussian Blue or, you know, for, you know, as a, as a kid. I think that's an interesting premise. And it does make me wonder, though, like what I don't like using the chicken and the egg metaphor because clearly the egg came first. Like so. But but like which do we do we seek it out because it confirms what we already know and believe? Or do we encounter it and it informs what we know and believe? Like, does it create what we know and believe? Because well, I think those are those are hard to parse. Yeah, at some point it becomes a feedback loop. And mm -hmm. the chicken came first. Okay, no, yeah. we're not going to have that debate. <laughs> we're not going to have that debate. <laughs> but but it becomes. But that's the whole point of the of, the, of that question. Is it's it's a feedback loop. Right. You can't have one without one. One begets the other, which then turns it back around on itself. Yeah, I mean, maybe so, but like. There are sometimes those chance encounters, like reading Stephen King for me was like a chance encounter. Um, because, you know, it's interesting, the way that I consume media now is I read around the media a lot. I have Entertainment Weekly, and I think I've mentioned this before, like I have Entertainment Weekly. I follow a lot of uh, Facebook, um, or I follow a lot of um, platforms that are going to talk about and hype something before I encounter it, right? And then I use that to filter in or out what I'm going to, engage with but previously there was nothing like that there like i walked into a library space and the only interaction i had was with the cover and with the with the book jacket right and i had to make a decision based on that and so there was an interesting sort of happenstance that would happen in life then that i kind of miss like the accidental seeing something oh yeah yeah like i'm, I'm looking at i'm look so i'm looking at the cover of watership down and it's it's a cute little bunny. I would pick that book up. Hell and read yeah. It. yeah, yeah. That's essentially what happened. I was like rabbits, and then yeah. and 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 as you were saying that, I immediately thought of what was it, Fern Gully, or um, oh, what were some of those other books? I don't, I don't know. There there were there were there was there was like a whole there's a whole industry dedicated to how to get stuff in front of a kid's face and make them pick that over something else. Correct. 
know? Correct. Yeah, but but like the Watership Down was not in the children's section. Like I, there was a very distinct moment. Like I have a flashball memory of being at a Denver Public Library. There was a specific branch we went to all the time. It was the sort of thing I could go to by myself at some point. And I remember having read every single book of any interest to me in the teen section. And I looked across the distance, like it was a physical space, like it was across the library was the adult fiction. And I thought, and I had this moment, like, I'm ready. And I walked over there and I had to go into the shelves and it was so overwhelming. There were so many more books, which was exciting, but I had no way to filter what I was interested in. Um, which is why I ended up in science fiction because I was like, "There's a dragon on the cover." Because I read right, and, the and McCaffrey. Are, yeah, the covers are radically different. Yeah, how, yeah, how, yeah, do you, yeah. Do you know how old you were? I don't. Everything I I would say twelve, but not I'm sure. I was probably right. like so seven or eight. Pre preteen. No, yeah. I was yeah, I was yeah, much younger, probably seven or eight. Yeah, because I was yeah. a pretty big reader. Um, but but like that's why I ended up in science fiction because they had dragons, and so I knew what that was. And but like if I because then like there's some other because if you look at um the stuff right now, but if you look at the art of book covers, the shit that I was seeing. That was bo- some boring. I mean, like there, it's all uh, like the world according to Garp was just like a gold cover with words. I'm like, let's love to read this, right? So, um, so Watership Down would have stu- stood out, and so I, I, I not not the so the funny story about the world according to Garp. My mom was letting me watch Porky's and Psycho and Friday the Thirteenth. Would not let me watch World According to Garp. Why? I have no idea. Never seen it. <laughs> Never seen it. My mom would not let me watch it. Oh, that's interesting. That or Cheech and Chong. What? Marijuana. A drug use. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't want me on the weed at five years old. <laughs> I, I could check out the boobies. But you couldn't but, be on the weed. But couldn't be on the weed. I think that's an interesting sort of like, like, um, sort of what we come up against our parents, sort of like. Yeah. Tensions about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the stuff, the stuff that's on the TV behind you is not getting any less strange. Oh. It was just, it was a row of hands caressing themselves. What did you put on? What is this? <laughs> so, 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 what we're watching? And, oh, and I what apologize. is that? Yeah, there it is again. It's, oh. it's a commercial for Dawn soap, for Dawn dishwashing soap, and it's easy on the hands. God. So, I apologize for all of you that are listening to this, and you'll never, you're never going to see what we're describing here. Um, but it, I, I just, I just put on like a Judy Garland Christmas special from the '50s, so we could kind of get in the spirit, and it's not working at all. <laughs> This is the this is this is like the wrong kind of Christmas, and it's over my shoulder. So Jeff is yeah. very distracted by. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, advertising even. Yeah, this is a very Jeff. sensual commercial. I might have to track this down and put it on the Facebook page because it's like next level. Like it's very. It definitely makes. Oh wow. No, it's thrill, not dawn. Oh, I thought it was dawn. I don't even. I've never even heard of thrill. Okay. Now all right. Have. So this. All right. So we are going way off topic now. Uh, okay. We're going way off topic. We are. But since since we're on since we're on this, what is the point of of selling a dish soap that you are specifically selling to middle class white women and calling it thrill? I mean, repressed sexuality right there. <laughs> That's a lot of that. <laughs> so there there's a whole there's a whole industry of research dedicated to like fifties marketing to women. And how it was all how how hypersexualized it was, like the vacuum cleaners and washing machines. A lot of it was really sexual back then. Though. Yeah, I mean, not just women, but, but hidden, like, like, yeah. like oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 coded sexual. So, of sexual. course, of course, we're very repressed. At least in the white American, it's a very repressed community, like in that way. 
But it, I, I, I'm, I'm just laughing. Is it like thrill, dish soap? What could possibly be thrilling about dish soap? Well, there's, I mean, there's this, there's a sort of um, se- sexual component, but also I think there's a sort of like dead, dead emotional deadness that comes from having to do something as boring as dishes all the time and that being yeah. your primary duty. Maybe it has pop rocks in it. Uh, it does nothing different than anything. It, it clearly didn't because that is not around anymore. No. Yeah. Anyways, so any is there anything that a hard a hard transition back to the top? <laughs> yeah. Is there is there any, is there anything that you can think of where it's like yeah this I can this is something I read and this is what it did to me as an adult. Am I the only person that that, that breaks myself down like that? Not necessarily. Um, I was I was trying to think of it as. Um, I don't know that I have a specific, um, m- like specific movie, but, and I, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but this idea that comes from like my upbringing, which is that, that children, it's okay for children to be scared. Like my parents did not sort of cater to any sort of n- potential nightmares that we might have. And we were expected to tolerate spooky stuff early. And I don't know if it's because my mother's Mexican, American, Mexican American, but like that, that's just part of it. Like darkness and spookiness and creepy and stories about the devil that comes in real early. Not that my mom specifically told stories about the devil, but she did tell us supernatural stories very young. La Llorona? Yeah, that type of stuff. Not, not, not specifically because we don't have oh. water in Denver. So, um, so, so not specifically. She's not. Speci- she doesn't herself like personally believe in those things. But she also grew up with that. So she's very tolerant of, and that there's a special place that like fear is definitely meant to occupy part of a child's life. You're meant to be afraid. And what that has done for me as an adult has made me fairly sturdy. Like it's very difficult to scare me. And so I really, but that's, that's not necessarily about my life choices. Although living alone, I think might be an example of that. Cause there, I, I do know some people who, find it very difficult to fathom living without a partner because it's so scary to be alone. So, on a totally side note, so I have, I have my YouTube channel and we've, we started doing live streaming on Friday nights. And the other night I realized there are four guys in my house, me included, like four of us that have never been married, never had kids. And I'm just like, how many of us are out there? Like humans like that? Yeah, just just America's running around, never been married, n- a lot. never had kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, more than we like, think. Gro- but growing yeah. up, it's like that's that seems so abnormal. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's one of the the disservices that the media that we consumed did to us was promoting a white hetero nuclear setup that um, is what you're striving for. And but what's interesting is like if I look now in my life and in the world, most of my friends aren't in something like that. Like, they're divorced, they're raising child on their own, they're on their third marriage or second marriage, and it's mixed families, and there's um, people who were in, like, had a, um, homosexual relationships and then changed. Like, there's just a lot of different, like, I had a baby with this kid. Like, no one, no one is very few. Like, statistically speaking, I think I have two friends that are in a, what would, could be considered a sort of classic 50s, 60s, set up and so that's the bullshit part is that yeah. none of us are living that life i know a couple yeah. but but yeah 
I mean, rationally, I look back on it and like, you're absolutely right. But as a kid growing up, actually, even as a kid growing up, I grew up in a trailer park where there was one, I think, two nuclear families in the entire in the entire trailer park. So I should have. I should have just intuitively known that TV was bullshit and, and, but I didn't like that seemed to me, it really wasn't until like five years ago that I accepted that I was, that it was okay to be single. I thought, it, I really thought of it as a personal failure. Yeah, no. And I don't know if maybe it's cause you're white that that's the case. Like I, so like, cause you know, you were, t- we were talking uh, last week, maybe a week before, I don't remember about how you like identified with Josh Ritter. Was John, it John? Ritter, John, John Ritter, Ritter, John Ritter, John Ritter, right? Not the younger I didn't have that experience. There was nothing I watched where I was like, yeah, that's me. Not, like, none of the, none, nothing I consumed when I was young relayed back to my own personal experiences. So it all felt like a fiction. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We might, we might have to explore that at some point. Wait, yeah. I think that's worth, yeah, opening up a little bit. Yeah. So I think we're going to, we'll go ahead and kind of, we're going to wrap up this episode pretty soon. But first, anything in the last, in the last week that you're, that you've been consuming, watching, anything you're high on right now? Okay, I'm gonna do like you, and I'm gonna I'm going to actually complain about something. Good. Okay. About time somebody else did. I. So one of the things, um, single person, right? Like one of the things I like to do is sort of uh, either have music playing or have some sort of media going. You know, like have that a constant entertainment value. But one of the things, I, my favorite things to do is when I'm cooking, is to have some sort of show on that's really easy to not pay attention to. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I've blown through all of those. I've I've consumed every last one. So now I'm down to the weird ones, like the gin, great gingerbread bake off. And you're just it's one season and it's weird. And I'm just like, I don't, what is happening? But I'm watching this TV show, this one called Sugar Rush. And it's just a, a, a basic baking competition. I'm, I'm watching it partly because, um, again, it's easy to, to ingest. But the implicit bias against people of color in those shows is phenomenal. Like I, they start out with four pairs of contestants. So there's um, eight, like, yeah, eight people. And then they, um, and then they just always, always get it down to two white people competing. They just have, so, so the judges will come and there always has a quote unquote reason that whatever the person, the two people of color created doesn't quite meet the mark and they, they get cut off from the shows. And so if you look at any competition show out there, People of color are filtered out sooner than anybody else. And what's hard is I get real attached. So like it's a single episode and I'm rooting for the two black women who own their own bakery somewhere in Atlanta, Georgia to like triumph and like show like win. But I, I've learned to not get too invested because they're they're gonna get they're gonna get voted off. And it makes me so upset. There was one episode earlier today that I watched. I just I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I had to, I had to shut it down. So I do not recommend Sugar Rush. Although it is merely indicative of a larger issue in competition shows, which really sort of are biased against people of color. So that's my, that's my, I was so, I was so mad this morning, like enraged. So that was a good way to start the day. Just pure rage. Good. So I, I, after, after our talk last week, I was thinking more about it Mm -hmm. and I don't, I just, I don't watch sitcoms anymore. Yeah. But I do watch a lot of stand up. Okay. So when I want to laugh, I almost always go towards stand-up. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I do that. So I did watch some Kevin Hart. Okay. Yeah, and it was hilarious. Okay. So actually, I think I watched, uh, so he actually did it from, it's on Netflix right now, and he did it from his house. 
and man as, at, the, at the very beginning i really just wanted to just because just, it was very similar issue with dave Chappelle. they're at a point in their lives and a status of the world where they have completely lost touch with the rest with <laughs> with with where they came from sure sure but they're so good at what they do that after a while you just have to you just have to go with them so um yeah so yeah so for me it's more more than anything it'll be stand-up than than any kind of sitcom so did you see Chappelle asked everybody to not stream his stuff on Netflix? I did see that. That's I interesting. I didn't. I don't know what that one's about. Okay, so um, basically, when Chappelle had the Chappelle show, and I don't know, I don't know what production company owns the rights to that show, but it's not him. Mm. So after he left the show, they continued filming for almost a full season. It, it wasn't going anywhere, mm. and then. They still have the rights to it, so they can sell it wherever they want. So you can go and watch original episodes of The Spell Show on net, not Netflix anymore. We'll get to that in a second. HBO Max, a couple other places, and then Netflix. While Netflix also has an exclusive deal with Dave Chappelle right, for, right. for his for his stand-up shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he called Netflix, and they agreed to take it off the Chappelle show off of their service, hmm. but it's still up on like HBO max. And, and honestly, we're, we're filming this, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, by the time you're hearing this, a lot of this might be over. Um, but that's what, that's what was going on. So, uh, so he, his show is being shown in places and he is not getting a penny for it. Hmm. So he's saying, if you, if, if you're a fan of me, stop watching that show because hmm. I'm not getting paid for it. That's a that's a whole another that's a whole another can of worms about right. you know right you know what 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 is it what is an artist entitled to correct that's interesting yeah we'll have to cue that one for another that's another one we're gonna talk about especially especially in music so right yes it, it really becomes an issue more more so more so in film because you know an actor an actor in a movie understands that they're they're only entitled to so much they're going to get their little whatever the little contract of royalty is and that's all it is and they have no control over where that film goes right comedy is a stand-up comedy particularly is a little bit different because it's one artist creating everything he probably has a team of writers behind him but at the end of the day it's him you know and that's why people are there and then music like there's a whole history of musicians getting royally screwed yeah so we'll have to talk when we do that show we'll have to talk about um uh the symphony song. Oh, bittersweet, dun, dun, bittersweet, 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 bittersweet symphony, yeah. which is an absolute travesty. Okay. And involves stealing intellectual property from black musicians. And then the person that stole it, suing somebody else for stealing it from them. The whole, the whole history of the whole history of bittersweet symphony is fascinating. Buckle up, buckle up. We're yeah. about to do Bittersweet Symphony. All right. We're going to sample it and then get sued. Let's do that in two weeks. Okay. In two weeks. Tune in, people. So in two, two weeks. weeks. So, all right. So, uh, those are the things we're, we're into this week. So, thanks for listening. I am Jeff. And Renee. This is What the What. Bye. Merry Christmas.